Night gathers, and now my rewatch begins. Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I am Ross Bolin here at the Grand X Media studio in Austin, Texas with my co-host, Barrett Dudley. Hello. How is everybody doing out there? Good? Good. 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 <laughs> Great. <laughs> Wonderful. You don't have any other... No yelling on the bus. Um... No, no, because all I'm thinking about right now is uh, doing a plug, and so I'm just going to do it. Okay. <laughs> just do the plug. <laughs> Go follow Grandex Labs. That's where my new podcast is is currently airing. There are two episodes out. We're doing a third on Wednesday. It's called Club Cool. Club Cool. It is style, fashion, pop culture, movies, TV, film, all that type of good stuff. If you even have a passing interest, please find it on Grandex Labs, SoundCloud, or iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, and hit hit that play button for me. Club cool. Yeah, it's fun. I was the first guest. Ross was the first guest, and then uh, then I had Will DeFreeze on on Friday, and then I'm actually I'm rounding out the 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 round the first round of three with mm. the fourth member of Club Cool, Phil Battaglia, who oh, it's just so exciting. This man's just got a brand new sleeve tattoo up in the Pacific Northwest, and he's it's pretty gonna, intense. And he's going to come talk about it, and I just I'm I've got so many questions. His whole arm <laughs> is inked up. I've always wanted to know somebody with a sleeve tag. And now we do. And now we have, not only do we know him, he's he's a member of our text group about cool, cool things. stuff. Yes, yes. Like our Club Cool just got so much credibility. Yeah, yeah, we just, we just, we just added a ton of cred. So go to iTunes, type in Grand X Labs. You will find every episode of Club Cool that is released for the time being anyway. Yes. On Grand X Labs. Eventually, it is very likely that we will see it on its own feed. But for now, Grand X Labs. It's Barrett's newest venture. It's a great podcast. I'm the first guest. Go listen to it. This is the Night's Rewatch. We're doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with season one, episode one, leading up to the final season of our favorite show so we can all be as prepared as possible. Take the black and join us. I want to get timed on that at some point. Like, the last one of these we ever do, I want to stopwatch. <laughs> and I want to see how quickly... I feel like I'm become, I'm getting, like, auctioneer-style quick at reading that. You, yeah. 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 Some news. Did the Emmys happen? They did not happen. No, no. Just oh. the nominations. Came oh, out. yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Do we want to talk about the yeah, nominations let's talk, let's, a little bit? Let's talk about a little bit about the nominations here. Game of Thrones led all shows with twenty two nominations. Mm -hmm. uh, Does this surprise you? I I'm kind of floored to be honest. I'm pretty surprised. I didn't think they'd get that much love. For I, I did not seven. either. There was so much critical backlash right. about this season in general. Yeah. Uh that it's just it's very interesting that it that it got so many nominations and it got like it got the big nominations too. It got the best drama nod. Uh it got 
it, it it's uh it's nominated let's see i'm looking at the list right now so it got lena hetty for supporting lena hetty for supporting actress got a nomination and then peter dinklage and nicolaj coaster waldo got supporting actor nominations um so it got acting noms and the big nom right you kind of expect it to get all the other stuff i like, mean sure it's still super well the directed cinematography the, the cinematography directing, the, the costumes writing, yeah. like all of that is still very very good um I guess that's one thing to keep in mind here, though, is that when you break it down categorically, sure, Game of Thrones is still going to get its shine. Yes. Like, yeah. Uh, I would. I guess what I'd say is that I, I'm looking at the list, and I think it was just kind of a weak year for dramas, because okay, so here's the best comedy list: Atlanta, Barry, Blackish, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Glow, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Silicon Valley, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Here's the dramas. The Americans, The Crown, Game of Thrones, The Handmaid's Tale, Stranger Things, This Is Us, and Westworld. Uh, my, all of my favorite shows from the last 12 or 14 months are in the comedy section. Atlanta is incredible. Barry was incredible. Glow is awesome. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel was my favorite show of the last 18 months. Silicon Valley was still super funny this year. And Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is also really, really good. I got to stop watching so many dramas. Well, I haven't just, seen any of those. It, it's, it's, it's kind of... I, we have not seen this though in recent years where the, where the comedies are really really good yeah and the dramas I, I just think it's because there's been such an overwhelming amount of you know quote unquote I'm doing air quotes now prestige yeah. television thrown at us that it's, it's just like a little it more feels diluted yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah I'll say this though Handmaid's Tale season one which is what is receiving these nominations for Handmaid's Tale is uh, one wait, of the best oh, is that is that right yeah Season, or is this season two? It's got to be season one. Season two is like I'm just not even done with it yet. Yeah, it like literally is wrapping up. Well, that two that is ago. one thing that I'm a little confused about is that I don't, I can't quite tell which which uh, which season some of these things were nominated for. Uh, because I thought Handmaid's Tale already won some stuff. Did it? But it's, it does say last year's top winner, The Handmaid's Tale from Hulu. So maybe so it's that's that has to be this season. That's right? interesting. That's interesting. Okay. Well, I was going to say season one was one of the best seasons of any TV show I've ever seen. Okay. I'm not done with season two, so I can't fully judge it yet. But still, an unbelievable show. Uh, Stranger Things. Come on, you know. It's, yeah. It's great. I, the it, Crown. I. It's cool. It's but it's like. You're right. It's it's a little bit underwhelming of a, oh, of a category, all things considered. It, here's what I'll say. Outside of This Is Us, all of these shows in their last season or two have faced some negative reviews, I'll say. I can't believe Homeland is even on here for anything. <laughs> what did it get nominated for? Uh, Mandy Patinkin okay. as Saul yeah. Berenson. Yes. Yeah, of course. But it, whatever. Point is, the craziest thing to me about the Emmy nominations is, is HBO's streak of leading has been broken. It's been broken, yes. By Netflix. By Netflix. And that's what happens when you spend like $400 billion <laughs> on the production of shows. <laughs> you, you, find, you, get, you, you get something out of it. Yeah. Yes. Netflix has just thrown so much spaghetti at the, at the wall. That, and some of the spaghetti is going to be good. That a lot of that spaghetti is starting to stick. Yeah, yeah. No, they, dude, they've done a great job. Like, give Netflix their their due when it comes to yes, there's a lot of spaghetti. There, it's a big bowl, but 
there is a shit ton of good spaghetti. There's a, there's there's some spaghetti in there for everybody. For yes, the morons, that is true. That we need is to watch true. stupid TV. Yep. For people like us who want to watch a little bit more like hardcore, what are we calling it? Premier, prestige. prestige dramas. Yeah. yeah. So they, I mean, they're doing their thing, and it's not Netflix is not creating HBO. Netflix is creating essentially an on-demand network. Mm-hmm. That's what it's right. Yeah. All types of, of shows, yes. movies. Yep. It's all over the fucking place. So it's a little different ballgame. You know what should be on here? Speaking of Netflix, huh. it's dark. Yeah, wh- I don't know how that works though, dude. Because shows that they like was that created for Netflix? Yeah, or it wasn't made by some Dutch company or whatever. And no, it was sold? made for German Netflix. Okay, well then, yeah, I don't know how the fuck that doesn't get nominated. Do um, they have like a totally separate German? No, thing? no I think for just because it has subtitles doesn't mean it can't be nominated for an Emmy. Dark was incredible, and that's fucked up. Like I thought that anything. was a really, really great series. It was as far as dramas go. It was, so. and I thought it was a great season, and it was very promising the way they wrapped it up sure. in terms of the future of the series. Yeah. Whatever. When when are the Emmys? I don't I'm, actually know, dude. I'm so out on award shows lately. Like the last couple years, I've just it's September 17th. It looks like, um, yeah, September 17th, but. I'm so out on award shows the last couple of years because it's just like the more you watch them, the more aware you become of how like kind of crooked the whole process is. Right. Somebody's right. always getting fucked. Somebody's always getting awarded that absolutely should not be that there's literally yes. no way they would have won if it were not for political connections and such. And I, I don't mean that like Poli- like I mean that mean within, within the academy that, or yes. whatever the fuck yes. it's called. Yeah. The the new india journalism magazine <laughs> or whoever runs this thing it's always some weird name that yeah, i'm like who yeah. uh but yeah i'm just i don't put a lot of stock in these anymore and of course i want to see i want to see my shows win the shows right. that i love like thrones and i think it's hysterical that in the season that everybody flipped out about game of thrones being like this is rubbish <laughs> what have you done it gets fucking 22, 22 nominations. nominations yeah uh but i mean whatever man the only other news would be that season eight filming for Game of Thrones has completely wrapped. I don't remember if we said that last week, but just so everyone knows, they're done. It's over. No more filming. Yes, that is correct. And I don't know. It's just it's really it's really something that that's that that's the case. Yeah, it's I don't like to, thinking hard about to wrap it. my head around. Actually. I don't like thinking about it. I don't like thinking about it either. Here is okay. Now I have not really seen any press release. I can't find an article that happens to say this, but I have heard. On Twitter and on another podcast and just through various murmurs, basically. Okay. That all six episodes are pushing two hours. That's what I heard on Twitter, too. In fact, now I I cannot find any source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Any quote or anything, but somehow something has leaked. We keep getting tagged in shit like this where it's like, I can't, like, I saw one tweet that was almost. Uh, the the mention of every episode being two hours was almost secondary information in the tweet, and I was like, "Hold on now, excuse me, <laughs> this is important. We need to confirm this." So I started googling, and then I couldn't find shit. Yeah, and this was from like a reputable, right? You know, right? So I don't, I don't know. It, it's it's like an unconfirmed, off the record source told somebody this, right? And then people have run with it through kind of your secondary media outlet. So yeah. there's not actually a column or an article written that includes this information right and i'll tell you how shit like this works people just in case you're wondering like uh if 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 i knew somebody that worked at hbo and i got them to tell me like look man i can't like confirm anything for you but every episode is going to be two hours plus and then i got on twitter and tweeted about it nobody would believe me 
Nobody would credit me. Right. No one would source me. But that would be legit. But it'd get news. out there. Yeah, yeah. It, and it would it would start to circulate amongst like people like us. Too. Right. So it's like it's really hard to say. But how? I mean, I'd be so fucking happy. It would also be devastating for our Sunday schedule for that entire for that entire six week stretch. Yeah, I find it. It's it's certainly ambitious. It's very ambitious. Two hours each, dude. And I and I I find it a little hard to believe. And I what I'm guessing is that that actually means that the episodes will be around ninety minutes each. That's we'll my see. guess. Yeah, because it's crazy because we've been like. You better give us two hours for each episode. And then if they announce that, we're like, ooh, that's a lot. That's really ambitious. Here's what doesn't make any sense. If you're going to do two hours an episode, why didn't you just stick with the regular season length? I, I think because they don't want to break up the storyline any more than it has to. I think they probably figured, look, we've got, let's break this thing down into what we think makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. All right, there's these six sections that okay. we need to polish okay. off and have unfold. But we're gonna need more time for each section, yeah. basically. Yeah. Okay. I don't know I, though. It's I, a good question, Barry. I mean, I'm 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 fascinated to see how they pull it off. Yeah, no shit, right? And if they come out and they achieve doing basically six full length feature films right. as a, as a season, that's gonna be pretty incredible. Yeah, they might got get nominated for more uh, Emmys. Th- they probably like will all yeah. of the Emmys. We'll see. So I'm excited. Yeah. We've got four hotline calls before we jump into this week's episode. Uh, 866-43-CLAMS is our hotline number. You can call it anytime, any day. It's a voicemail. Leave us a question, a take, a clam fam correction. 866-43-CLAMS. Here's this week's first call. Yo, Ghost is going to ride Drogon. Okay. Thus concludes this week's first call. Uh, I still hope this happens, <laughs> but I don't think it will. Barrett, any thoughts on Ghost Riding Drogon? I'm I'm in on Ghost Riding Drogon. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Next call. Yo, what's up, guys? How are we doing, Clam Fam? This is uh, John from Massachusetts. Uh, my friends don't call me Tyler, but I wish they would. Um, so, anyways, you guys were mentioning on uh, the last pod about uh, consummation of marriages. And um, there are two that definitely come to mind for me, uh, which would be Daenerys and Caldrogo. Uh, when they got married, that was consummated. Uh, and then also Sansa and Ramsay got married, and that was consummated. Um, although both of those consummations didn't result in a baby. I mean, Daenerys got pregnant, but, you know, she didn't, she didn't uh, give birth to the kids. So, um, yeah, just thought that uh, that was something to point out. And uh, keep keep doing what you guys are doing. Welcome pod. Best. Uh, GWS. Good call on the uh, Khal Drogo Danny consummation. Sure, but here's my rebuttal. Yes. Neither one of those consummations w- was, they were both essentially rapes. Yeah, it's a valid point. <laughs> Not, I mean, not consensual consummations. Those were not exactly consensual consummations. And I'm not sure there is such a thing as a non-consensual consummation. Doesn't it have to be consensual to be consummated? Doesn't I mean, right, right. Like technically, like I think that's kind of part of the well, definition of the word. I don't fucking know. Probably yeah. not. Probably not. In, not Probably certainly not. not in in these times. No, in this yeah. world. Yeah, and well, the other one, Ramsey Sansa, hasn't happened yet, so that's why we didn't talk about true, that. But, true, true. But. You know, so I still kind of stand 
behind my point that 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 Marjorie Tommen is the first time we have gotten to really see a marriage willingly and happily consummated four times (laughs) should be noted next call sir pounce is proud yes he watches (laughs) hey guys this is steven from texas i was just listening to your last week's podcast and i was just clarifying why in the house of black and white all the different statues are there those are all the different religions they all have an embodiment of death like in the seven is the stranger so there's a statue of the stranger somewhere in the house of black and white. And that's what all those different statues are. Love the pod. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. A word. Appreciate it. Let's start. Next call. Hey guys, it's Will from New Hampshire. Uh, I just listened to the whole podcast trying to get ready so that I could start making my hotline calls, my clarifications and other mischief. Um, so let's get into it. Last episode, John Snow named Sir Alistair Thorne the first ranger of the Night's Watch. Um, Now, prior to this, Sir Alistair, to answer your question, Barrett, was the master at arms at Castle Black, um, which is the guy who is responsible for training and arming the recruits and getting anyone who's not combat ready up to speed. Um, Now, we don't see many of these in the show. The only other one we see is Sir Roderick from Winterfell, who is the guy with the uh, hateful facial hair sideburns that go into, like, this weird braided beard. Uh, he's often seen with Catelyn Stark in the old uh, King in the North. Um, but, yeah, so these guys are uh, often at most castles. Uh, the first ranger prior to him was Benjen Stark. Uh, I think they're finally accepting that he ain't coming back. Um, anyway, uh, Alistair Thorne, I think Jon Snow, uh, what he's doing here is he's trying to bury the hatchet. Trying to He, he wasn't asked to be elected Lord Commander, so he's trying to make the best of it. But that's what I got for you. Uh, love the pod. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, have a good one, guys. Ah, the king of the north. King of the north. It cracks me up how everyone always says, uh, like, we appreciate the, the love, like, when people say we love the podcast. But when people always say, keep doing what you're doing, as if we're going to stop, <laughs> we're not, just for the record. Like, can't stop, won't stop. But that's, I, I, I find, I would say, like, that for some reason has become a part of hotline diction, mm-hmm. like, first time... Long time listener, first time caller. Right, keep right. doing what you're doing. Yeah, it's just it's just odd. It's just props. It's props. Well, we love props. Yeah, props all around. A very informative and articulate call there. Very well said, sir. Um, yeah. So, Alistair, this is a promotion for Alistair. That's why he's a little proud, and he's like, "I'll let you take out my boy." Right. First Ranger's a big. That's a big deal, I think. Yeah, and he's old. Not going to get too many more promotions before he dies. Big thing for him. Anyway, 866-43-CLAMS is our hotline number. Let's get into it. Season 5, Episode 4, Sons of the Harpy, written by Dave Hill and directed by Mark Mylod, who, as we mentioned last week, just went back-to-back like a boss. We start out in Volantis, which is where Jorah captured Tyrion last episode. Uh, The episode kicks off with Jorah just cold-cocking cheap-shotting, if you will, a random fisherman. Just knocks this dude out cold, drags him onto the beach, tosses a few coins on his unconscious body, and then steals his fishing boat. (laughs) This poor guy. There's like... I wish we had done a count for how many, like, totally innocent people's (laughs) lives just get rocked by this whole storyline. We would would be into the tens of thousands the room would point. be covered yes. in paper yeah uh but anyway this guy's just the latest he gets robbed and he wakes up with no boat but 
You don't think those two coins were enough to just <laughs> maybe settle the whole I, it's the re- whole deal? It's really hard to know wh- what the value of a gold uh, dragon is. Well, we don't really have any any grasp on the currency, right? Do we? It's yeah. impo- it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he 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 needs this boat to transport Tyrion to the Queen, as he says. He's that's where he's taking him. So he grabs tied up Tyrion throws him on board and I mean that literally he like spikes him yeah in the it's boat. like a it's like a body slam like a wrestling move a little unnecessary Jorah is in a bad mood let's just put it that way the guy's on very unhappy <laughs> his life is not in a good spot this is mean Jorah yes mm-hmm. yeah these are the days of mean Jorah yes <laughs> and uh, he throws Tyrion in there and then he pushes off next thing you know we're in another boat on the sea with Jamie and Braun who are sailing to Dorne remember to steal back Marcella and they pass an island and that Jamie's just kind of looking out at what they're passing and shit, and he, he asks a member of the crew if it's Estermont, and the member of the crew informs him that that's actually Tarth, the Sapphire Isle, where Brienne is from. Indeed. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. It just It's things like this that keep you on the, maybe Jamie did love her, mm. fence. You know what I mean? Because it's like, why have this in, like, uh, what's the point of this? Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I don't know. I... It, it's to stir up the romance vibes, dude. I guess. It is. The Sapphire Isle. Also, uh, it looked very lush with vegetation, I must note. It looked like a very nice island. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Braun wants to know why they are on a merchant ship, no Lannister sails, and Jamie's like, look, dude, we're going to sneak into Dorne. And Braun says the Dornish are crazy, that he's been there, and that all they want to do is fight and fuck fucking fight Bronn says there's nothing like a good fight to get you in the mood for fucking <laughs> and there's nothing like a fuck mad Dornish girl to clear your head for the next fight it's how the two work together I love the the term fuck mad fuck mad Dornish it just yes. means like yes. mad with fuckery like you right. you need to be fucking that you're all, mad yeah all sorts of insane all sorts of fuckery I, some might call that nymphomania same thing perhaps fuck mad nymphomania I don't know yeah, but I also I almost kind of interpreted it as that, but also kind of like spicy and fiery in other ways too. They'll punch you, choke yeah, you, right? Do all sorts of you know they're they they got a lot of they got a lot of spunk. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, for sure. And then also him talking about fucking and fighting in yeah. his accent. This was like total Conor McGregor stuff here because I just imagine this Conor McGregor is all about fucking and fighting as well. He can't even fucking read. <laughs> Has he got a book bag on stage? <laughs> yeah, no. Braun is a, is is one of the characters I will miss the most, just surely because of how enjoyable he is. Not just like his act; it's everything about him. It's the way he looks, his character. He's perfectly cast. Yes. This guy was a perfect. Yeah, he, he's job. incredible. Um, Braun. Oh, so from there, Jamie is like, we're not kidnapping the princess because Braun's like they're going to be really upset that we're kidnapping mm-hmm. the princess. He's like, we're rescuing my niece and taking her back to her family. And Braun's like, your niece. <laughs> It's just yet another acknowledgement of everyone fucking knows that these people, yes. these kids are actually Jamie and Cersei's. Braun understands why he is there, but he doesn't really get why Jamie's there. He asks him, why not send 40 of me or an army? Unlike most, mo- most folks, you've actually got one. And Jamie, basically his explanation for all this is we don't want to start a war, right? We need it to be covert. Braun says that still doesn't explain what you're doing here, <laughs> and because he doesn't, I mean, he's got one fucking hand. Yeah. He can't fight anymore. He's one of the most recognizable people in the world. And uh, Jamie says it has to be me. And Braun calls him out, pretty much like, "You set your brother free, didn't you? I bet your sister didn't like that." 
basically, Braun knows Jamie's this year. He's only there to repair his image for Cersei's sake. Like, he's there to look better for Cersei. That's it. Yep. Or to clear the guilt that he has on his head surrounding Tyrion's escape, Tywin's murder, that whole thing. Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, this is an attempt to get back in the good graces of Cersei. Right. And Cersei then seems that way, yeah. Secondary reason is to, because he needs, he feels like he needs to do something good after he let Tyrion escape, which is how his dad died. Yes, I think that's a pretty sound explanation. Yeah. Um, Bronn then asks that if Jamie ever sees the wee fucker, referring referring to uh, Tyrion, to give him his regards. And Jamie's response is, "He murdered my father. If I ever see him, I'll split him in two, and then I'll give him your regards." This is interesting because the attitude Jamie seems to have here toward Tyrion, it doesn't really stick. And I remember the first time I saw this episode, really thinking. Man, like these guys could end up total and complete enemies. Maybe the relationship is totally unsalvageable for these two brothers. If you're going off what Jamie just said, mm-hmm. certainly implies that. Um, and thankfully, that doesn't end up being the case. But it was a really worrisome thing for me, in particular, like being a huge Tyrion Jamie guy. Like I loved the two of them together, and I loved their relationship, uh, and I love them as individual characters. But that just doesn't end up really. This is almost like a, a weird, unnecessary tease of conflict that doesn't exist well here here's what i think it is i I think that i think that he's almost forcing himself to be mad at Tyrion because he thinks he feels like he's supposed to be because his dad died and then if you you know if you do all the mental gymnastics here he's this all comes down to cersei his relationship with cersei is fractured right now because she's pissed that Tyrion killed tywin yeah so he's more so pissed that Tyrion killed tywin because that's what's got cersei in a, in a twist i think it's fair to say that at this point jamie is making everything based all of his decisions are based on cersei right so that's a, that's you're absolutely right it all goes back to he's doing what he thinks will make her happy and love him again and that's it um over in king's landing we're in a meeting with cersei and her sham of a high council where lord tyrell the new master of coin informs her that the Iron Bank has called in one-tenth of the crown's debts. And Mace says that they can afford to pay half of what the, the Iron Bank has asked for. Maybe less with winter coming. He suggests that House Tyrell could front the gold. And that the Lannisters could pay them back in time. Or the crown could pay them back in time. And uh, Cersei's like, you've already given too much. Um, she wants to arrange better terms with the Iron Bank in person. And she's sending Mace Tyrell and Sir Marin Trant along with him, quote, to protect him, end quote. And Mace is so giddy, this whole scene. This might be the happiest moment of his entire life. He can't fucking believe it. He doesn't see the foreboding nature of this situation that he's in at all. No, it's really, really something. He's a moron. He, he couldn't see his scheme if it hit him in the face with a two-by-four. Yeah, he's, he's just an idiot, and it's very enjoyable to watch unfold on screen. Um, as he leaves to take his trip to the Iron Bank, Pycelle says, the small council grows smaller and smaller, and Cersei's response <laughs> is not small enough. Yes. As in, like, you're still here, and he's just, they sh- you get this <laughs> shot of Pycelle sitting at the basically empty table. It's just him and fucking... Uh, Kyburn, right? Kyburn, yeah. who's just there for fun. And he has this look on his face like, I'm going to be dead soon, aren't I? <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, next, Cersei meets with the High Sparrow. She offers him some wine, and he refuses. And she says, the old High Septon would have asked for the vintage. 
Watching her try to establish a connection with someone, which is something, it's rare. We don't see this very often. It's kind of, it's just kind of funny. Like, she's genuinely, it's she's trying to use this person, yes. But she's also genuinely trying to make some kind of connection so that he will allow her to use right, it. Right, right. And it's just yep. interesting to see that unfold. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And she's really consolidating power here. Yeah. Yeah, she is. I mean, Tommen is just a soft little pawn. He's a kid, man. He has no idea what he's doing. He's a child. She's just pushing the ball wherever she wants it. I'm I'm disappointed. We'll get we'll well we'll get here. Let's okay. continue. Okay. Uh what else? She calls she has called the High Sparrow into her office to talk about arming the Faith Militant once again. The Faith Militant were disbanded long ago. Um the High Sparrow is very about this idea he says an army that defends the bodies and souls of the common people so i thought this was interesting oh yeah for all of his you know the vices that he's able to turn down right the man doesn't walk around in shoes yeah he wears a sack as clothing yes (laughs) he's turning down the finest wine that there is to offer yes and yet you know such a, a godly man and he's all about this faith. He, could, he couldn't turn down the power. That's what this is. He sees the potential. It, in, even if he does see the good side of it, which is that it could be an army that defends the bodies and souls of the common people. What does that no, mean? No, but that's not... Yeah, that's, that's not a, a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, it's just him knowing he can enforce his rule of law, which is it, whether or not it's a religion is not the point. He's enforcing it through violence. Yes. And that's not okay. That's right. This, yeah, this is crazy. Somehow he has convinced himself, of, to your point, for all he is as a holy man, he's still totally down with fucking people up. Yeah. And carving stars into their heads yes. for whatever reason. That's like totally fine by him. So, Makes no sense. Yeah. And then, I mean, boom, he gets the faith militant. He gets to arm who he wants to, to arm. And then they go fucking crazy. And you forget, man, that again, like... I, I'm sure this isn't the last iteration of it that we'll see, but Cersei brought all of this shit onto herself when it comes to what ends up happening to her. Yes. She she armed this man with an army. And she in the, gave him an army. And in the beginning, it's going her way. She's oh, yeah. getting She gets rid of Loras she doesn't get very, much, dude, very swiftly. All things considered, it backfires so hard. Like, she gets rid of Loras, yes. A couple of things go her way, yes. But the big picture-wise, this fucking thing just swung so far the other direction. She got rocked. Yeah. She tells him, as we mentioned, Loras, uh, what would you say if I told you of a great sinner in our very midst, shielded by golden privilege? And the sparrow, who looks very happy, says, may the father judge him justly. Then we see the sparrows going apeshit, smashing barrels of booze, flipping tables, destroying marketplaces, breaking up prostitute orgies, ransacking whorehouses, <laughs> uh, including Littlefinger's whorehouses. With Littlefinger gone, the respect of uh, this is Lord Peter Baelish's establishment is no longer a thing. It has gone straight out the window. It is no longer a thing. This is like the second or third time we've seen somebody say that and then just get backhanded in the <laughs> face. So like nobody gives a fuck anymore. Um, we also see like during this scene... There's like smashing, breaking, hitting prostitutes, like breaking up orgies, and then like a cut scene of like someone getting a star sh- cut into their face, their forehead. It's Lancel Lannister. He's getting that star of the seven carved into his dome. Um, <laughs> then, as it happens, we see the great sinner that Cersei was referring to, Loras of House Tyrell. 
He is taken by the Sparrows, led by Lancel Lannister with his fresh, bleeding, still star in his head. And the next thing we see is a very, very upset Marjorie, very hot and very angry, storming into Tommen's chambers to ask why her brother is in a cell uh, as Tommen takes on a solo meal. Dude, why doesn't this kid have friends or something? Like, he's eating alone in his fucking room? A king has no friends. Just bums me out. Like, who's he supposed to be friends with? I don't know. Marjorie has a bunch of ladies in waiting that she talks about dick with. Why can't he have some buddies that he, like, you know? Well, I don't think anybody wants to be buddies with him. That sucks. Wait, because his mom's insane? Yes. Yeah. And it's, they know he's, a you know, a bastard born of incest. Oh, yeah, that part, too. <laughs> That's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Well, anyway, his response to her is, I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't order it. And she says, Marjorie says, we both know who did. You told me she was returning to Casterly Rock. Like, she thought she'd be rid of uh, Cersei by now, shipping the mother-in-law off to Casterly Rock. Marjorie really struggles here to explain the dynamic between the Queen Mother and herself. Because Tommen's like, aren't you and Mother getting along? And she wants to be like, of fucking course we're not getting along. Your mother is the goddamn devil. But she can't say that. It's a really nice piece of acting here. Yeah. Um, when you When you watch her... She's she's kind of flying off the handle here. Yeah. And, and she's, then she's really struggling. Just, like she's really about to just let Tom and have it. Yeah. And then you can see her in that second. She takes a beat and puts on you know, the queen face basically. Oh, sweet sweet king or whatever yeah, she says. Right. Yeah, she has this moment where she's like this fucking kid but and I she, have to keep yeah, have I mean, to keep this this whole charade going. Yes. It's uh, beautiful. No, it really is. Like you can literally see it playing out physically. Like, you can hear the thoughts in her head when you can't. It's great. But I wonder if she drops the manipulative shit. Right. And just lets this guy have it and screams at him and tells him to be a fucking man. Right. If that would be more effective. Would that be more effective? I don't know. It's 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 hard because I'm also is... having crazy deja vu. Have we had this conversation before? No. No? I don't think so. Did we talk about this some in season six, maybe? It's always possible. That was a very long time ago, but it's he's so young, dude, and that's the thing that this episode reminded me of. Like, yes, it's it's you know he he peaked, he is, is laying pipe. He had his great, he had his one great night, but peaked. he's a child and he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't really know how to rule. He's too young to understand the full complexities of things like this. He he, the fact that he asked the question, like, well, aren't you and mother getting along? It shows you just how naive he still is. Like, he really doesn't get it. And that's a problem, clearly. I think one of the reasons that this storyline bothers me so much is because it's such a... It's one where you just want to yell at the screen and help these people make the right right decisions. And they just... And they don't really. When they can't hear you. It's like when we're talking on the podcast and I say something horribly incorrect <laughs> and people on the other side listening want to yell at me, Ross, you idiot. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, it's it's not ill in pain. It's whatever. Like, but I can't hear them. <laughs> you know? Right. These characters cannot hear us. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Very it's, frustrating uh, indeed. It's very frustrating. <laughs> but you people know, I always just, tell me that shit, though. You just have to you have to you have to nip this in, a, in the bud. Yeah. And I know Tommen is too young to see it. But that's why, almost why I wish Marjorie had just been Gone more off. real about this, because Cersei just takes the control. Yep. Whereas Marjorie is still 
essentially trying to incept Tommen to do these things. That's a very good point. When when really she just needs to make sure he does them by or any means necessary. The, like what Cersei's essentially doing is operating with the name of King Tommen yes. on, her, on his behalf. That's what Marjorie should be doing. Yes. But I don't think she has a full understanding of that. It, like Probably not. Instead, she's trying to prod him in the right direction. Yep. And he's like, well, I, I don't know. But I mean, yeah. Tommen should have nipped this in the bud right then and there on the steps of the set. When you're getting, you gotta it, take those people you out. Do. You have you your whole king's guard behind you. You oh. realize the situation is brewing, man. You Joffrey would have burnt that building to the ground <laughs> right then and there. Not just killed those guys out front. He would have killed fucking everyone, and it would have been tight. But he's not around. A- anyway, Tommen's like, "I'll set, I'll set Loras free for you." And then uh, he walks into his mommy's room and he says, "I demand that Sir Loras be freed now." And Cersei, having clearly seen like three steps ahead here, is like. Did I arrest him? He's like, well, no, but you armed the faith militant. You gave the High Sparrow an army. And she's like, well, maybe go fucking take it up with that guy then. It has nothing to do with me. So he does. He goes to speak with the High Sparrow next after his mother suggests it. And at the foot of the sept, as you mentioned, Tommen and his Kingsguard are met by the Sparrows, who say his holiness is praying. He will not be disturbed. And this whole fight is about to break out. One of the Kingsguard says, give the order and we'll clear out these rabble. Great Kingsguard line. Yes, it was that a good one. That dude's awesome. And Tommen says, you mean kill them? (laughs) And someone behind them is like, bastard, you're an abomination, born of sin, filthy bastard. Like all these people are just hurling, hurling horrible insults at Tommen. And he's just standing there like trying to figure out like, what do I do? I'm like 12 years old. We've noted it many times on the podcast, but I wish I had just documented every single time that uh, having captions on is the best (laughs) Have alu- have illuminated certain lines that you may have overlooked on Absolutely. the first watch. Yeah, but this was another one with these commoners yelling. I mean, I wrote it down. Filthy bastard! Legitimately, one yells abomination. Bastard. One yells you're an abomination. One yells born of sin, and then another one just caps it off as if bastard wasn't enough. Filthy bastard! It's like, damn, dude, he's a he's a kid. They are letting him have it. And it's like those insults are flying in from behind while he's standing there staring at the faith militant, trying to figure out what to do. And there's like guys talking. Talking to him like it, his Kingsguard are like, we'll kill these guys. It's just like, fuck, that's a lot of decisions. A lot of information coming in at once. Poor bastard. Yes, yes. And Tommen, he shrinks from the situation. He does. He's like, we'll find another way. And uh, they bail. Cersei hitting Tommen with the whole, you know, well, I didn't do anything act. You're right. I, I'm just, I think I've always hated her the most. And it's easy, <laughs> it's easy for me to say now yeah. because we know... Uh, you know, Everything in, in know. present day, everybody else is so far. Everybody else is pretty much dead that we've super hated. Right. Um, but so 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 we're, that's the we still have not. She still hasn't gotten her comeuppance. No, she has not. Not really. We thought she was going to at one point there in seasons what six. And I man, I just hope I hope they nail it. I hope they give it to us in a really 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 good way in season eight. In season eight, well, I can't we'll... wait. I'm I'm really really looking forward to her dying it's just gonna be her on the throne and you crying probably yeah. it might be yeah i no, mean if, I, if 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 grrm wants to really twist the knife and be like haha i'm yeah. a bastard fuck you guys yeah yeah then then that's what he would do he would, absolutely he would leave cersei on the throne no it's it's you're, you're right though man like she's so manipulative so manipulative and is just so like what is the word I'm looking for? Like she's snooty about how manipulative she is. 
Like yes. she like she knows she's so much better than everyone else at playing the game and like she I mean if that's your boy that's your that's your fucking child that you're manipulating like if she just has no heart it's sick. Yeah, well all the talk about the love for her children being first and foremost right? and yet she's going to rip away this kid everything that makes this kid happy right because now. Because it's not it's the love for her children is first and foremost except to power. Right. Power is first and foremost. And it's like she never admits that to herself, but it's absolutely the case. She might sort of admit it like in the scene where Tommen commits suicide later on. Like mm -hmm. she, at that point, I think she has decided, I know what I am. This is what I have to do. Right. Fuck everything that comes as a consequence. But anyway, back to this scene. Tommen's like, well, find another way. He goes back to find Marjorie and he says, there was no way to free Sor Loris without violence. And she then is very hard on him. She pretty she shames him basically, and it's like I mean again maybe she has to, but it's like he's a fucking kid he doesn't get it. She then says she has to send word to grandmother, and Tommen is like, "Will you come back later?" Because he probably wants to have sex and, or or whatever mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. And she sits she stops and you see it on her face. She's thinking, "How should I handle this situation?" And then she's like, "I need to be with my family, Your Grace." She's wielding sex as a weapon. Yes. They're like a week into their marriage. <laughs> and that she's doing, she knows exactly what she's doing. It's like, what is going to get this kid to get it and work harder to free my brother? But again, it should be her that's wielding the power here, and she's trying to get him to do it. Mm -hmm. It's just not a great strategy. Back at the wall, John is training people while Stannis and Selyse Baratheon watch on. Selyse comments that John is a bastard of some tavern slut. And Stannis has an interesting response. He says... Perhaps, but that wasn't Ned Stark's way. It's all, like the way he talks about Ned is always, it's always like he kind of knew in the back of his mind. Like, why say that? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, who are you? Nobody's here listening to you. Like, it's like he's just saying it to himself. Like, I don't believe that, basically, is what he's saying. Yes. I mean, he is, I think he's just making conversation, but... And and making a reference to Ned Stark's character, sure. And he liked Ned Stark, so if somebody's standing around bashing him, bashing him about having sex with this tavern slut, then it would make sense for him to be like, "Yeah, I don't know. That really what that really wasn't his way." And it's in confidence. It's with his wife, so he can he can pretty much say sure anything. But what it also is is just it's a it's a it's an early line for the audience. That that story doesn't make sense. That, that story is yeah. is maybe not the whole truth. The whole truth. Yes. Solis goes on to tell Stannis, basically, like I, I I should have given you a son. All I gave you was disappointment, disappointment and deformity. She says this as she's looking at her daughter Shireen. Uh, she's a terrible, terrible mother, as we already knew. Uh, Melisandre approaches and says Shireen's scars mean nothing to the Lord of Light. That her father is the chosen king and her father's blood runs through her veins. This is all foreshadowing to the inevitable uh, fiery scene that we yes. all are not looking forward to. So Stannis says that he's marching on Winterfell soon, that they have to because they need to beat the snows, which it, with all the talk about beating the fucking snows, <laughs> to not beat the fucking snows, <laughs> Stannis, come on, dude. Uh, Melisandre makes Stannis ensure her that he won't leave her behind like he did before the Battle of the Blackwater at Sir Davos's insistence. And then we see Jon signing off on all these letters to lords and ladies who have men to potentially spare for the Night's Watch. Like, Sam has gone through and picked 
every fucking house. It's not just like we're writing to Winterfell and we're writing to King's Land. He's he's writing to everyone, mm-hmm. like smaller houses, smaller lords and ladies, lesser known people. Uh, then John comes across one, like he's signing off one by one, like document after document that Sam puts in front of him. And then he comes across Ruse Bolton's name, the Warden of the North, and John's like, "Not him. He murdered my brother." And Sam explains. That he has men and they need men. He says, we swore to be the watchers on the wall and we can't watch the wall with 50 men. And we can't get more men without help from the Warden of the North. Because remember this, even if, let's say King's Landing is like, we'll send you a thousand men. Those thousand men have to travel up through Winterfell to get to the fucking wall. And if Bruce Bolton is like, fuck you, nobody's coming through, That's, they're not getting any more that men. That is true, yes. So he needs them to, he needs Bruce to at least agree to help. And uh, John reluctantly ends up signing away. As Sam exits, Melisandre enters, and she asks John to come with them when they ride south to Winterfell. Because again, let's have this fucking conversation for the ninth time. He again explains that he is Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, and they take no part in the Wars of the Seven Kingdoms. Melisandre says there is only one war, life against death. And then... She asks him to come to her so she can show him what he's fighting for. And he's like, I don't, come on, I don't want to see some vision in the fire. I don't trust that shit. And she says, no visions, no magic, just life. And then she opens her robe to reveal her breasts and uh, vagina, as it would be. <laughs> she's not wearing anything under there, is my point. No, she's doing the old nothing under the trench coat, show up at the door. Ha! Yeah, yes. except usually there's like, I'm, I'm thinking of, what's that lingerie company that's not Victoria's Secret? It's a little more high end, I feel like. You know what I'm talking? They they always do the commercials that are really sexy, like overtly sexy. They can't put them on the television sexy. Well, there's there's a few, maybe Fredericks of Hollywood or La Perla. They get really famous people to be in their commercials. Like Emily Ratajkowski has done one of them. Hmm. Oh, whatever. Asian me- provocateur. There you go. Boom. Thank you. Yeah, it reminded me of one of those commercials. Um that was going to drive me nuts. We were going to have to pause the show so I could fucking Google it. I'm glad you did that for me. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, she's butt-ass. And uh, John is like, oh, my God. <laughs> and she takes his hand and puts it, like, on her tit and is like, do you feel my heart beating? And he just, like, stares at it. And uh, she says, there's power in you. You resist it, and that's your mistake. Embrace it. And you can really tell here. John is very tempted. This isn't like a get off me, lady, get out. You're, you, He is very tempted. She's smoke, and no pun intended. And uh-huh, uh-huh. he hasn't been with a woman since Egret, and Melisandre eventually is straddling him and, like, keeps sweet-talking. And the way she talks about her religion and, like, all the power and the... It's all just this lusty smoke screen. Was she trying to get him to make a smoke baby here? Okay, so that's what I have in my notes, because... I can't really tell what this is all about. This scene doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Right, because, okay, here's what we have. Because she, she she dropped, but, she, but like you said, she drops that little line in there. She says, something, something, and to cast shadows. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it made me think about the smoke monster. That's what it made and me think about, too. It's just weird when you put it into like the whole big picture because she we saw her bang Stannis, and that resulted in a smoke monster. Now... Stannis wasn't a virgin, but she ends up asking John if he's a virgin, and when he says no, she says good. Oh, earlier. Maybe virgins can't make smoke babies? Yeah, way earlier. Right, right. 
Anyway, then she's in there trying uh, to seduce. That's a good point. When she, right, 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 right. She's trying to seduce him. Perhaps her plan was to get impregnated with another smoke baby, then take that smoke baby to Winterfell, to Winterfell. And, and unleash that thing so that a smoke baby with the face of Jon Snow would kill Ruse Bolton and Ramsay Bolton or something. I don't know. That it seems that, right. That right? seems like the obvious answer, or I, the, well, not that obvious, but the, the clearest answer. Right. That's that's kind of where I'm at. So. Otherwise. What what's she doing? I can't even think of another explanation. Yeah, it doesn't. She wouldn't just go like it's not like she thinks he's hot and she wants to go have sex with. Like that's not right. it. No. There's always an ulterior motive. Of course, Sandra. So I I believe that to be the case. I don't really know, but uh, at one point he says, "I don't think Stannis would like that very much." Meaning if they boned, and she kind of smirks and is like, "Then we shouldn't tell him." Mm-hmm. And it just reminds you. <laughs> She, Melisandre is not on Stannis's side. She's on the side of what she believes to be her religion and the Lord of Light. Yes, she thinks Stannis is this vessel that her god has chosen, but when it all comes down to it, she's still going around on the sly and doing shit like this. It, she's not a very loyal Stannis girlfriend wizard person that she's supposed to be or whatever. Right, which I think he also knows, I though. think he does, too. I think he has a pretty good... It's just, he, I think her line about well then we shouldn't tell him is more just to tell John like, I'm not going to tell him like okay then we won't tell him right yeah what mama don't know won't hurt her right that's just more to kind of appease John she's just trying to get him hard right yeah. uh, she goes for the dick <laughs> he stops her he speaks to his remaining love for you Gret Melisandre puts a robe back on and walks away then she gets to the door she stops and turns around and says you know nothing, Jon Snow. Really something. And John, and then she smiles, and John is like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, you can tell he's like so aroused and also terrified at the same time, which is just the best. Uh, next, we see Shireen go to visit her dad, Stannis. Well, hold up. What, what do you, I, somebody tweeted us about the whole, you know nothing, Jon Snow line. Oh, sure. So I was waiting for it. I and think then what do, you, what do you take from that? It's just... Speaking to her, it's her tipping her hand to him that she has the ability to see things he can't. He does, she knows more than he's giving her credit for. Okay, I think it's essentially like so. So essentially, we're just taking it as a as a bit of a nod to the powers that she does yes. have. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and now, whether you want to chalk that up to the religion thing or the fact that she's fucking around with dark shit here, mm-hmm. sure, is up to you. But she clearly knows. It's almost like it struck her in that moment, too. Like, as she reaches the door, she's like, has a premonition of her saying that to John and then says it to John. You know what I mean? Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't know if she knows why she says the thing she says. It's very confusing. Good point. We don't have a full understanding of that. But very, very weird, interesting scene between her and John. Next, we see Shireen visiting her dad, Stannis. Uh, she's just bored. It's like if your dad took you to work one day. And you're like wandering around his office, like looking at his <laughs> shit. And Stannis is like, "What the fuck do you want?" And uh, she says she's bored. And he says, "My father used to tell me that boredom indicates a lack of inner resources," which is so Stannis. <laughs> and uh, Shireen asks if Stannis is ashamed of her. He tells her the story about the time he gave her a doll when she was little that he bought off some merchant that was even sewn a dress on it with like the colors of their house, and he gave it to Shireen, and she pressed it to her cheek. And by the time they burned the doll, it was too late. This is how Shireen got Grayscale. Now, do we take this to mean that the Dornish salesman merchant person did this on purpose? Yes. 
Now, at the behest of whom, we do not know. Okay. I don't think that necessarily means that Dorne somehow was in it to attack the Baratheons in some way, but somebody clearly planned this and paid this merchant to do this. Right. Um. So, yeah, he says, uh, I was told you would die or worse, that the grayscale would go slow, that you'd grow just enough to know the world before taking it away from you. Everyone advised me to send you to the ruins of Illyria to live out your short life with the stone men before the sickness spread through the castle. I told them all to go to hell. I called in every maester on this side of the world, every healer, every apothecary. They stopped the disease and saved your life. And this makes Stannis such a complicated character for me because... Like, Shireen ends up shedding a tear and, like, hugging her dad. And he doesn't really hug her back at first. And it's all very... It's like, what is his deal? What is his deal with his daughter? And it's almost as if he knows already that he's going to have to sacrifice her on some level. Because why does he... Why is he so, like, dis... He tells her this story. Which makes me think he really loves her. And that he feels terrible about what happened to her. And that he finally kind of feels like it's his fault on Mm -hmm. some level. Well, then why not show her that, that you care about her all the time? Like, what's with the disdain and the fucking lack of hugging back? And, like, it's just odd. I don't know. I mean, this was a gut-wrenching scene to me, especially especially given that we know what happens what later. What ends up happening, yeah. And so it's another one of these scenes that I that I think is is kind of twofold. It, it On one hand, it is showing us another side of Stannis. It is showing us that he does really care about her. Yeah. And on the other hand, it is to set up the audience for the worst thing that could possibly happen. Yeah. So they, they, you know, they set you up with this. Oh, look, Stannis really does love this little girl. How sweet is this father-daughter moment? And it's almost made even more touching by the fact that we know Stannis is this really kind of cold, cold, stone-faced. No pun intended. Warmonger. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and here he is, kind of expressing himself a little bit and showing some vulnerability and emotion about how much he loves Shireen, and then he, then he does what he does, and it's just it's kind of they kind of set you up for the fall. Yeah, having had about forty five seconds to think about it, it it breaks down like this for me. Stannis loves his daughter. But she's like third on the priority list at this point, right? Number one is the Iron Throne. Number two is Melisandre. Number three is his daughter. And that's just the pecking order, man. And if anything that's number one, like anything that number one needs, everything behind it can be gone. You know what I mean? Like if he had to take out Melisandre to get on the Iron Throne, he'd do that shit too. It's just nothing else matters to him. Aside from claiming his birthright, right. first and foremost. Well, and I also like your point about is is he is he kind of showing this side because he already feels guilty? Yeah. If maybe he kind of knows what's coming. What's coming? It's I, I that, feel like that, it does a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back at Winterfell, Sansa goes around like lighting candles in the crypt below where all her relatives are buried. Uh, when up walks Littlefinger, who I forgot was still there, and Littlefinger tells a story about Rhaegar choosing Sansa's aunt, Lyanna over his wife that he gave her these flowers at attorney in front of everyone and Littlefinger asks how many tens of thousands had to die because Rhaegar chose your aunt and Sansa's response is yes he chose her and then he kidnapped her and raped her and if you watch Littlefinger knowing what we know now when Sansa says that he kind of looks at her and he's like yeah I'm just gonna let that sit 
He's like, I'm not going to respond to that statement. Like, he, he has other information, which is that he started that rumor, and it's a lie. But he chooses not to dish it out at that point. Right. He does not correct her here. Yes. But again, this is part two in this episode where they're starting to give us in some of those hints. They're dropping these little pellets of information about Liana and Rhaegar yep. and about Jon Snow. Yeah, more and more. And it's they're such small pellets that you don't even know they're pellets when you're watching the first mm-hmm. time. You're just like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> Who the fuck is Liana? You don't even really understand unless you've been paying really, really, really close attention because these are so far removed from the main characters of the show. Um, Littlefinger explains that, that Stannis is going to ride for King's Landing before the snow. And he'll have to take Winterfell first on the way down. And that he has a that Stannis has a much larger army than the Boltons, and he is the finest military commander in Westeros. So that a betting man would put his money on Stannis taking out the Boltons, and it just so happens that Littlefinger is a betting man. This is a, this is a very clear cut answer to why did Littlefinger give Sansa to the Boltons? This is it. This is why he believes the Boltons won't even be around very long. He's right. like basically what he sees happening. Littlefinger's betting on Stannis. He believes Sansa will end up Wardeness of the North after Stannis takes out the Boltons, as he explains here. Now, a lot of dominoes have to fall the right way for that to happen, and they clearly don't go that way, but that was his intention. At no point did he think Sansa would just end up being this guy's wife and, you know, that was going to be it. Right. That's not what he intended. He's got a long play here, as he always does. Yes. Or almost always does. Um... Which is why Sansa asks, like, well, what if you're wrong? What if the Boltons defeat Stannis or something? And Littlefinger's like, well, then you take the Bolton boy and make him yours. She says she doesn't know how to do that, that his father frightens her, and Littlefinger's response is, he should. He's a dangerous man. But even the most dangerous men can be outmaneuvers, outmaneuvered. And you've learned to maneuver from the very best. I'll return from too, before too long. You'll be strong without me. The North will be yours. Do you believe me? So... His backup plan to everything going the way he wants it to is Sansa manipulating her way to the top of <laughs> of Winterfell. Also, a pretty good backup plan. Like if he, I mean, given what we know ends up happening, she is good at manipulating. She is good at kind of playing the game. By the end of all this, right? But what? But I mean, in that in that scenario, in that plan B, what's the what's the ceiling for her? I think the same, Wardeness of the North. Well, but taking out the Boltons. Doesn't Ramsay have to have to get got for that? Yes. She'd have to get rid of the Boltons still. And yeah, she obviously she, can't do that by herself. No, I think she would have to manipulate her way into a position where she had enough of the northern houses behind her to instigate some kind okay. of coup, basically. Gotcha. But and again, these are all long shots, but it's like Littlefinger's just playing the long game here and seeing seeing what he can make happen. Uh, I just thought it was a very interesting explanation for like, because that's one of the main things I've always wondered and never had a full understanding of why the hell did he give her to these people? Mm -hmm. And with the Night's Rewatch, it's become much, much clearer. Over in Dorne, Bronn rows Jamie and him in this little rowboat onto the shores of Dorne. At one point, he like looks at Jamie. He's really frustrated that he's the only one rowing. And Jamie just (laughs) simply holds up his gold hand. It's the best. I fucking love it. Um, Next thing we see, they're on a beach asleep just like on the sand and there's a fucking snake a very poisonous looking snake about four inches from Jamie's head and Jamie wakes up to bronze standing over him like swinging a fucking weapon he's like what the fuck and he kills the snake obviously saving Jamie's life uh 
but it really makes you wonder. It's like Jamie. Jamie's a rich guy still. He's still in a very you know a position of power in King's Landing. He's as much as he might be not on the best side of the Queen Mother at the moment. He's a rich guy. He can afford a good bed. Why sleep on the beach, Sam? <laughs> he, these are questions you have to ask. He just he couldn't pack his Lisa mattress. It just didn't fit on the rowboat. Yeah. It's too luxurious to fit on a rowboat. It was. It, it is. was. But that was, I mean, that was quite a disappointment for everybody involved. Ah, uh, yeah. Just a sand bed, Jamie. A sand bed. Don't be like Jamie. Don't sleep on the sand next to very poisonous snakes. You don't have a brawn there to save your life. You need a Lisa mattress. A quality night's sleep that you can get on a Lisa mattress is going to help you recover from distractions more quickly, prevent burnout. You'll make better decisions, improve your memory, make fewer mistakes. It's not marketing. It's science. To design a better mattress, Lisa leveraged 30-plus years of experience, hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Lisa's mission... To provide a better night's sleep for everybody. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. They're up to over 26,000 mattresses donated and counting. They strive to make the world a better place than they found it. That doesn't stop with mattress donations. Together with the Arbor Day Foundation, Lisa plants one tree for every mattress they sell and have committed to planting one million trees by 2025. Big time summer savings for the Clam Fam specifically. Right now, if you go to lisa.com slash dragon, dragon, you can save huge $150 off a Lisa mattress, $225 off a Sapira by Lisa. That's a real nice savings. Very nice savings. It's the July mattress sale. If you are listening and it is later than July of 2018, very good chance that there's still some type of deal. Go to lisa.com slash dragon and it, dragon. Will, it will give you the details right on there. Barrett and I both have the Sapira. Uh, I'll speak for myself. I could not more highly recommend any singular bed in the whole fucking world. It is incredible. I love it. I love their pillows. I love their blankets. Lisa.com slash dragon. Dragon. Do it today. So, as a result of Jamie not having a Lisa mattress and sleeping on the sand and almost getting murdered by a snake, they end up getting discovered by some Dornish soldiers. Uh, they lie about why they're there, obviously, and then end up having to fight all four of these soldiers. Jamie actually ends up catching one of their swords with his gold hand. Very tight. Great fake names, by the way. Cooper and Darnell. <laughs> yeah, what the hell was that? <laughs> How are those the names you want? I don't know, but I, but I liked it. He, Braun was very quick on his feet with Cooper and Darnell. Yeah, those are his go-tos? <laughs> what the hell? Those are just very random names. I thought that was very funny, too. Um... Then we bounce over to the Sand Snakes, who are led by Alaria, obviously, and uh, she has decided that they're going to have to avenge Oberyn herself because Prince, what's his name, Doran, does not intend to do anything about his dead brother. So starting a war is what she has in mind. And uh, one of the Sand Snakes actually whips a whip, literally whips, like with a whip, a bucket off of a man's head who was buried in the sand. And it's the ship's captain that Jamie and Braun took to Dorne that Braun had actually just spent a considerable amount of time foreshadowing yes. him betraying us. It was almost like a little silly based on what ends up happening here. But it, this guy, uh, he says he had information to sell, that he smuggled Jamie Lannister into Dorne. So all the Sand Snakes are aware of this shit, and then they end up putting a spear straight through his head. Very unfortunate ending for the captain there. Here's an, in, here's an interesting thing. Well, first of all, I just want to start by saying the Sand Snakes 
mm. has been a largely unpopular storyline yes. as executed by the TV show. Right. And I already hate it. It's not good. It, it, there's just something about it that I it don't find... It feels very random and unconnected is what it interesting is. Interesting or enjoyable yeah. to watch. Well, you don't know any... The only one of them that you have any real backstory for is Ilaria. Yep. And it's that backstory, it doesn't bleed down enough to her daughters or the girls. Well, they, and like, speaking of that, here's another thing that I don't ever think they really make clear enough and that I only know or that I was only reminded of after watching the inside the episode. Tyene, the short-haired one, uh-huh. that like is like keeps hugging and going over to Ilaria, that's her only daughter. That's the only oh, one that's, that's her that's daughter. That's the one that's her daughter. The others are all various other daughters I think of Oberyn's. Right, Oberyn's daughters. Yes. Yeah. That's, okay. Those are the Sand Snakes. Yeah. Because he's the Red Viper and Bastards and Doran are called Sands. Gotcha. So, but I, I don't know. This it just... It just never... It, for something it never about clicked. it never clicked. Yeah. yeah. It's very strange. Uh, I don't think it's fully ex- explainable. It's just... Thankfully, I think they realized that on some level, and it doesn't take up a ton of screen time. If you think about it, over the grand scheme yeah. of their whole storyline, but uh, anyway, Alaria ends up telling them all of the Sand Snakes, "You must choose Doran's way in peace or my way in war." Obviously, they all choose war, and as I mentioned, that captain gets a spear to the face. Uh, then we're in a boat with Jorah and Tyrion, that boat that they stole, that he stole, and Tyrion is still gagged, so he's like trying to get Jorah to take this gag off. So he's singing. Uh, muffled behind that gag in his mouth until Jorah finally gets annoyed enough to remove it. Then we find here, Tyrion still doesn't know who Jorah is. He says, who are you? Jorah responds, your captor. Tyrion asks, do you have wine? Jorah says, no. Tyrion says, I can't sleep without wine. And Jorah says, then stay awake. (laughs) Tyrion tells his captor that they are headed in the wrong direction, that Westeros is to the west where his sister is. He's kind of being a smartass. Jorah informs Tyrion that they are headed to Daenerys Targaryen, the queen he serves, to which Tyrion starts laughing because obviously that's where he was intending to go anyway. He says, what a waste of a good kidnapping. (laughs) Uh, Then he slowly, because he's a clever, clever man, pieces together that his captor is Jorah Mormont. He sees the bear on his, like, armor. He sees, you know, he pieces the whole thing together very quickly. Um, But... He starts trying to figure out why Jorah was serving his queen in a whorehouse half a world away. Being the bright little dude that he is, Tyrion ends up surmising that Jorah was spying on Danny, that Danny found out and exiled him, and now he hopes to win her back, win back her favor anyway, with a gift. And uh, Jorah gets a little angry that Tyrion figured this out so easily. And what does he do in this episode? He just knocks people out. He knocks him out. Yeah, he's, he's on sale. I mean, he he's got two choices here. He can either put the gag back on Tyrion, yeah. or he can just knock his ass out because he's not about to shut up anytime no, soon. No, he's not. He's not. Uh, yeah, Tyrion, very perceptive here, but very. he also kind of is thinking back, and he knew about Jorah, and he knew a little bit about this. He did, because he was on the small council. his time on the small council yes. in King's Landing. Yeah, 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 he had all the information there, all the pieces of the puzzle. He just had to put them together. Over in Marine, Barristan uh, Selmy tells Danny a story about Rhaegar performing as a minstrel for fun, like going onto the streets and singing and shit. Apparently, he was a very good singer. And if you're keeping score at home, this is part three in the exposition of this episode that is revealing about John's heritage. J- y- yes. Basically. Uh, L plus R equals J. Yes. 
the guy was a good singer, Rhaegar. He liked. He would take Sir Barristan with him to protect him. He would go down to the streets and he would sing to see how much money he would he could make. Then he would give it to like the next minstrel down the street or to little orphans or whatever. It reminded me of like how I'll give my my tickets at Dave and Buster's to little kids. Mm. Like I'll win all the tickets, but it's like I don't need these fucking tickets. Right. I'm a grown man. Right. So I give them to children. This is a rich guy doing the same thing, uh, different circumstance, but similar. Basically concept. the same. Basically the same thing. Same but different. Um, Danny very clearly the look on her face whenever she's being told a story about Rhaegar her dad she loves it this makes her very happy she loves Sir Barristan she loves having him around just to clarify Rhaegar her brother Mad King was her dad ah sorry yes yes thank you loves Sir Barristan loves the history he has the stories he has about her family all the information that she's always wanted he has a lot of it and he's you know sharing it with her Makes her very happy to be connected in some way to the history of her family, you know, in some way more than her fucked up brother that she got to hang mm-hmm. with forever mm-hmm. over in Illyrio's palace or whatever. Um, next, Danny takes her throne and that dipshit with the little mini fro is in there like trying to convince her to open up the fighting pits. That, that same fucking guy is there. He's just talking. He's always talking. The Sons of the Harpy ambush a bunch of people and uh, they're doing this to set a trap. For some of the Unsullied. that Actually, that same hooker that we saw set up the first Unsullied this season that died at the sons of the, the hands of the Sons of the Harpy, mm-hmm. the same freaking hooker is a participant in this one, too. Well, that, it seems like you'd start putting those pieces together. That bitch. Connecting those dots. Yeah. She's been right here both times when... Bad shit happened. When guys have just gotten their throats cut. So the Unsullied end up getting ambushed in this... I don't know if I... It's not an alley. It's like a small building in the shape of an alley or something. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking know. Uh, but they, there's fighting. Uh, they're surrounded on both sides by gold-masked psychos, the the Sons of the Harpy. Deaths on both sides, but the Unsullied are greatly outnumbered. Grey Worm kicks a lot of ass in this scene. He has some sick moves, too. Yes, he does. Really, He's really good moves. Very well choreographed fight scene. Uh, Barristan Selmy, who's out on a walk for, I mean, whatever reason, he hears the fighting. And he stumbles upon the action. Then Grey Worm is stabbed. He's injured during this fight. Uh, he ends up being the only one alive versus like a shitload of remaining Sons of the Harpy. And he's about to get got. But then in comes Barristan Selmy, legendary fighter. He takes on like 10 dudes at once. He's kicking fucking ass. Grey Worm gets back to fighting as well. More Sons of the Harpy enter. Barristan gets hurt. He's stabbed again and again. And he's about to have his throat cut when Grey Worm cleans out the last remaining son of the Harpy from behind with his spear. Then Grey Worm and Sir Barristan both collapse into a pile of dead bodies, injured, dying, bleeding. This was just an absolute massacre. Roll credits. Yeah, it's it's pretty rare for a fight to end in this manner, Mm -hmm. where the two victors are both in such bad shape that they're just laying there with all of the dead guys who lost. And and both might be dead yes, kind of a cliffhanger we, for us here. absolutely a cliffhanger we have no i mean well, you have to assume at least one of them is going to survive based on the cliffhanger it'd be a pretty shitty cliffhanger yeah. if the next episode right. started with both them right. being dead but yes a cliffhanger for sure the first time you watch it um and we're concerned both these guys are very likable you know genuine uh good-hearted characters barristan selmy and and uh Grey Worm, so kind of a bummer, but that's yes. how the episode ends. And it's all it's all setting up here. We, you know, we know which one of these two guys makes it 
to the through the rest of the season. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And shit is out of control. The sons of the harpy are going nuts, and everything has just gone to shit since Jorah left. Marine's a mess. And now the other kind of elderly wise advisor is figure or gone. Is 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 not going to be useful anymore. And so it enter stage left. Yes. You know what's weird, dude, is like when we watched The Return of Jorah. That storyline, this whole storyline was really unappealing to me the first time through because I don't think I ever really grasped what you just explained. Mm -hmm. That essentially what's happening here is it's paving the way for Jorah to come back. Right. Because this isn't getting it done. She, These advisors, this group of people, considering all the things going on, considering the strength of the Sons of the Harpy... She's going to need more, and Jorah is that more, and Tyrion. Plus Tyrion, yes, yeah, exactly. But the, yep. the, that's what this all comes down to, is Danny's realization that the crew that she has assembled thus far is not going to get the job done in Westeros, and it does play a very important part in the bigger picture. I just, for some reason, like never really wrapped my head around h- how Jorah fit into it, how Tyrion right, fit right. into it. And uh, it, it, I'm glad yeah. that you put it that way. And then just to elaborate, when I mentioned part three uh, of that of the of the pellet dropping that they did in this episode, pellet, uh, Barristan's explanation or his story about Rhaegar is basically painting this picture of just a totally cool, fun, nice, charitable guy, right? That was hanging out with his with his with, with Kingsguard his and his peeps and and. Having the, a good time, going singing and, to the and, peasants and shit, and rubbing elbows with the with the commoners and singing, and then donating all the money to to good causes. Or you know, he was a regular guy too, so maybe he embarrassed and just went and had a beer. Maybe they did, you know. So it's, it's and he was hot. We know that, right? So all of this, they never, they never say it in this episode. But does this sound like the, a guy a rapist that would kidnap and rape somebody? At no point in during anyone's recalling of Rhaegar does anyone say anything bad about him ever in any season. It's always like, oh, he was a fantastic guy, the best man I ever met. Or yeah, like, exactly. you love to sing to the people. It's like, <laughs> and then and then on the other side, you have Sansa being like, he kidnapped her and raped her. Yep. And Littlefinger being like, yes, I made that story right the fuck up. It's just, it's in hindsight, it should have been a little more obvious what we had coming. Mm. But again, those pellets are so small that unless you really are on your shit... And it makes me understand a little better why so many people had the R plus L equals J theory going early on, because they got the pellets when I didn't. Well, that came from that came from book readers. Well, that's what I'm saying. Book readers, in collaboration with what they were seeing unfold on the screen, sure. were able to piece together the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I was just not, <laughs> because uh, I don't I, sh- I don't even count as a book reader anymore. I've been I've been kicked out by Demoted. that group of people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a show watcher now. (laughs) Anyway, we'll be back next Monday to talk about the fifth episode of season five titled Kill the Boy, written by the Cogman, Brian Cogman, and uh, directed by Jeremy Podeswar, the old pod dog. (laughs) (laughs) Follow our podcast on Instagram at Oysters, Clams, Cockles, and on Twitter at Clams and Cockles. You can like us on Facebook somewhere. Uh, Kill the boy sounds like I'm pretty sure Voldemort says that in one of the Harry Potter Kill films. the boy. Kill the boy. Yeah. Yeah. I can actually hear the line from Game of Thrones in my head, so it's it's like okay. cuz it's right. it's Aemon who says it, right? Kill the boy, Jon Snow. Let the man live or whatever. Yeah, let the man be born. Um Oh, 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 oh. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 
Follow me, Ross, on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at WRBolin. Also, if you're looking for another comedy podcast to listen to, the Ross Bolin podcast is available on iTunes. Uh, I urge you to give it a try. We're like 60-plus episodes deep now. We have a lot of fun. I'm just going to leave it at that. Barrett, where can everybody follow you and, and talk about Club Cool again quickly? I will. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Barrett Dudley. And once again, check out the Grand X Labs feed or you can go to SoundCloud.com and just search Grand X Labs Club Cool and check out the first couple of episodes. They're available. First guest was Ross. Second guest was Will DeFreeze from Touching Base and PostgradProblems.com. I think they're two really fun episodes. We cover a wide range of topics from Kanye West and sneaker culture to what's going on with Cassie David and Pete Davidson. With I, That's what I talked about with Will. Yeah. And we talked about Instagram aesthetics and it, just a whole bunch of cool, fun stuff. It's just a super materialistic, <laughs> <laughs> funny show. Yeah. That's what it is. No, but I mean, the, the it's like it's based around the concepts of of fashion and pop culture and such right and it's uh for let me put it this way if you listen to episode one you have a very good idea and understanding of what the show is and what is to come that is true so just go listen to episode one okay our hotline number again is 866-43-CLAMS hey if you are a member of the clam fam or of the night's rewatch and you've been riding with us for a long time and you've never taken the 30 seconds to go rate and review would you do that for us right quick? Just real quick. Go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it. Type in our show name, Oysters, Clams, and Cockles. First of all, you should be subscribed. Everybody knows that. But you should give us a five-star rating and write a quick review. It means a lot to us. It does a, a big... So it, in, in terms of getting us uh, the exposure that we need to continue to grow the Clam Fam, to continue to amass the numbers that we need on the wall for the night's rewatch... This is the best way to help us out, so please rate and review. Go to grandexshop.com slash OCC if you're looking for Game of Thrones-themed shirts, oysters, clams, and cockles-themed tees. Uh, the shirt that was promised is obviously available there on Grand X Shop, so that's another way to support the show. Pick up some tees, do your thing. The Game of Thrones Season 8 train, it is on the tracks. Yes, it okay, is. Okay, people? Post the coal is being loaded into the steam engines People are boarding the train. They are putting their bags away. Yes. They're going to go to the drink and the food cart. A conductor is yelling. A conductor is yelling, and then they're about to go and sit in their seats. <laughs> and then this thing is going to sl start moving slowly. But if you do not get on now, it will be moving too fast for you for you to get on it, you probably come like October. You will jump in an attempt to board the train, and you will be crushed <laughs> on the tracks. This was the weirdest metaphor. I don't know ever. why I went with that analogy. What happened I just, here? I needed to. I needed to put it out there. But the point stands. You don't want to die. All right. You want to get on the train. You need. I, all I'm saying is that you need to start paying attention to the Game of Thrones stuff right now. Yeah. This is it. Post filming, when filming is wrapped, uh, we're going to start to get more and more information every week. We are. I think. We are. It is absolutely coming. And if you have friends that you know like Game of Thrones but aren't on this night's rewatch train even if they're not look even if they're not podcast people you need to get them on tell them that they need to start listening because we're going to talk about every little piece of information that drops as well as 
as continuing to get deep into season five and then we're going season six and seven which will be super relevant to season eight and it's just it's time man tell your friends tell your family get them on this train yes thank you well said barrett we will be back next week thank you all for listening and supporting the show as always adios